All right, so welcome back to the FPL script. This is season two, episode one, looking ahead to the FPL 23-24 season. But we have a special guest today, and that would be FPL Chase, recently retired as well from FPL. He boasts a fantastic FPL history with 2x top 5k finishes, 6x top 20k, 10x top 100k in a 12-season career, and he's, of course, a part of the Elite 1000. Uh, he's been a Real Madrid fan as well, outside of FPL since 1998. And as you guys would have known, looking at his great work on Twitter, he is a database expert as well. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks. Thanks for the very kind words and thanks for the invitation. And it's a pleasure. Yeah, and thanks, Chase, for being here. Welcome back, everyone, to a new season. And I think we can just kick off this discussion about stuff revolving around visualization and, you know, where do you find the motivation or where do you find the value in uh, producing content like that? So I think the most popular one that you know everyone always uh, shares, everyone always knows you for the non-penalty XG rolling calendar, where you predict what is the non-penalty XG for every team going to be, and you have it divided month-wise until a certain point in the future. So walk us through um, how you kind of thought of it and how did you maybe perfect it to a certain extent? Yeah, sure. Uh, visual is basically just looking backwards um, what happened over the over the last year over the last 12 months basically play, playing months and the idea was uh, yeah I wanted to create visual that would capture these underlying performance trends obviously the, f the first idea would be to have a line chart of sorts where you could you could just easily track the evolution of the line over over some period of the time this is, this is exactly what I wanted to avoid, uh, and that's why I started to experiment a little. Because if you, if you imagine 20 lines of different colors in a, in a chart like this, I think it actually has a technical name. It's a sp spaghetti chart or something like that. Uh, they are basically unreadable, even though they might be technically correct, maybe more correct than what I produce, but uh, they do not convey any, any meaningful information. So the idea then was basically to distill the most important thing, and that's uh, the, the trend for, for every team individually and also in comparison. And the only thing I came up with was basically to uh, violate the heat map visual, uh, because normally this type of visual is uh, being used for a different, different data points. So I, 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 yeah, I just experimented a little, and I really like the, really the outcome, because uh, you don't have to really look at it uh, long to see the basic idea or the basic trends, like which teams are clearly the best and which teams are uh, the worst. If you, if you then want to deep dive a little bit more, obviously there are trends that can be read from basically every line, uh, every, every, every team uh, with some numbers as well. The first iterations, I was actually posting uh, two decimals, but then, then, I, then I told myself that, that that's maybe even, even too much detail for uh, rolling averages anyway. So I decided to just use uh, one decimal. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's, know, I think it's... Um, if you remember that like, we had a discussion on the group chat with Simon as well, where we were talking about how expressing these kinds of things in two decimal is the precision that we actually don't have. So I think exactly, this exactly. is visually more appealing. And at the same time, I think it is mathematically more consistent with, with the information that we have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely yeah. agree with you. That was that, that was basically it. I think the visual is fairly easily uh, decipherable for, for, for anyone, uh, even if you are not really into into analytics or into, into data stuff. 
yeah, once we understand the metric, the visual is just yeah talking to you. I think uh, I would say in in, a, in maybe in a few layers as well. That, that's what I always try with my visuals. I want some basic information to be able to be read, you know, from from the visual straight away, like from a glance. You can tell something about the data that I'm trying to visualize, and then there are also other layers like uh, on a closer on a closer uh, inspection, basically. So that that's basically yeah, what I what I try to do with this visual as well. And yeah, people people reacted very very positively, uh, even to my to my surprise because uh, yeah, uh, I, I guess it it was something new. Uh, and it was new because it was something that's uh, that's not being done the correct way, basically. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I absolutely uh, agree with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 that's that's uh, that's I think the main the main uh, success point of of this visual. So, if you uh, if you don't mind, just a couple of questions. How do you like adjust for schedule difficulty? Is it just a case of looking at what is the XGC for the opponent for every week, or like how did you go about that? So, I had a model uh, as well uh, running for that was the previous season so uh, not the season that has ended but uh, the previous one sure. and I, I was I, I had a basic uh, idea uh, how to calculate uh, the team strength and I basically just kept this part of the team model for the projections uh, I was not doing projections anymore basically I stopped in, in November uh, yeah. last year I, I didn't have time to maintain the model but uh, the underlying team strengths themselves uh, that, that's fairly Fairly bulletproof thing uh, I had in my model, so I was I was basically using using that one for the adjustment. And I it suppose. was also so it was it was also performance wise, so it was like uh, uh, last eight or nine months or something like that. Uh, underlying data in comparison, etc. Yeah, okay, that that makes a lot of sense. So one thing that obviously impacted all of us that engaged in data interpretation when it comes to FBRF is obviously the switch that happened when they uh, parted ways with Stashbomb and we'll get to that later but I am assuming that that also impacted these visualizations as well right yeah it did the values didn't change as much as I would expect like the first the first iteration when they changed to opta and I had to recalculate basically everything yeah it, there were some shifts but overall I mean in on, on a club level and with 12 games rolling averages uh, yeah, the effect the effect wasn't wasn't catastrophic. Uh, there's definitely loss in quality because that's bomb uh, XG is. I'm not sure if I could say by far, but it it is the best. But the most work I actually had was uh, I, I had to rewrite the scripts <laughs> because uh, I was I was scraping the data and they and overnight basically they they didn't even. They didn't just remove the model uh, or, or the data from Statsbomb. They removed a lot of metrics as well. So it, it changed. It changed the order of the of the fields. You know, there are some renamings. Everything happened. Everything happened all at once, and it took me a few days basically to to get it up and to get it up and running again. Great. I think this is actually a perfect stopping point for a break. Now, touching back on visuals, I just wanted to actually get a sense of another visual that you're quite well known for, which would be the radar charts. I personally am finding, at least on football Twitter, that they're starting to become very unhelpful and we are starting to use them in a negative way just because I don't think people are, first of all, interpreting them correctly and, and also the sort of creator of, of such radar charts aren't taking the sort of necessary effort to make sure that they're providing a fair comparison at times. Yeah, so I suppose we want to get your take on how do you differentiate between those that 
you can't really gauge anything out of and those that are actually useful and how did you go about uh, you know creating radar charts of your own mm, well uh, i would say well first of all it's it's uh, a lot more complex than it than it looks uh, there are a few things uh, you have to you have to think about when you're trying to create a radar chart well maybe the first question in your mind should be whether to use radar or pizza chart because Again, technically speaking, radar chart isn't a good chart. The order of the values or the order of the metrics uh, can change the shape of the uh, of, of the radar, basically, or of the shaded area. And uh, well, you, you can manipulate it in a way that uh, even though a player or, or any entity that you are trying to visualize uh, might be better, if you reorder. Uh, you can get, you know, like uh, shaded half of the visual, um, and it looks like wow. Um, and then, if if you reorder the metrics, uh, you are also able to, you know, create some, some something that would resemble a star or something like that. It it wouldn't basically fill out the chart at all. And this would be maybe the same player or the same entity you are trying to visualize. So radar, radar charts uh, by themselves can be quite misleading. So the thing here is that if 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 it was up to me, I would probably only use pizza charts because they're te technically more correct. But the comparison with pizza chart is terrible. It's so difficult to read. So that's why I always resort to radar charts. But uh, yeah, I, I usually I usually do radars only when I'm comparing players. Like a player alone, I would always go for, for a pizza chart. I, I think it's uh, I think it's easier to interpret and, and as I said it's also technically more correct. Then the second question is, uh, what do you want to, what do you actually want to visualize? Whether it's uh, actual values or percentiles, because you see a lot of, maybe not radar charts, but actually these, uh, these sort of pizza charts that don't even quote, you know, like the, the values of the metrics. They are just, uh, uh, you can only read out the percentiles. And I mean, I have nothing against it. It's, uh, it's one way or another. Uh, what, what suits you? What you maybe are better in interpreting? Um, but it's another consideration. Uh, and then what, what you already said, uh, which metrics, in what order, this is a really difficult one because uh, the, the way I, I approached it uh, was basically uh, to divide the canvas into attacking, possession and defending parts. And I was trying to pick uh, representative metrics for the positions. That's why you use uh, these templates, you know, uh, defender template or wide midfielder template, uh, defensive midfielder template, whatever. And I think it makes a lot of sense. That's that's maybe one of the one of the first things. And uh, also the metrics. Well, what 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 I'm trying to do is kind of go gradually uh, between the obviously the most attacking metrics like xG and shots. You you would start the chart with that. I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's the right way to do, but I think it it makes sense to me because I've seen a lot of radar charts that, for example, for strikers or I don't know something, and they they start with something that that. It doesn't make, it didn't really make sense to me. And even if the start was okay, then the order of the subsequent metrics to me was kind of random. I couldn't really see any logic, but uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me. Uh, anyway, so I, I tried to go like uh, XG and shots, like because this is the most attacking metrics, then you go to something that approximate, uh, approximate assist, assists, whether that's uh, uh, expected assists or uh, chances created, uh, shot creating actions, things like this. Then I'm also trying to go to the 
let's say, possession metrics that are more attacking or, or basically tell you more about the attacking prowess of, of the player, which would be like take-ons or progressive queries, progressive passes, etc. And then we move basically through some, some other metrics until until we go to the defensive uh, part of the, of the radar. So this sort of division of metrics made the most sense to me. And it took me and took me some time to to go about it and to to find to find something that I was really I was I, I was satisfied with uh, from the perspective of uh, how would how would somebody you know like approach this radar chart how how would how would somebody read it another thing to point out and maybe but, but most people don't actually realize is that the radar charts you see and also mine are not using the actual extremely extreme values so the end of the radar charts. Uh, like the highest value is not actually the highest value in your data set. It's, uh, you, you do a cutoff of these values for some percentile. This is also basically up to you whether you use uh, 99, 90, 95th percentile or something like that. Because obviously, if we have somebody like, let's say, Haaland in the data set, every striker in the world would look like amateur, basically. Yeah. The, the, so you make so you want to make the target values, the top values, a little bit a little bit lower, so that also other players could look like a competent, uh, yeah, <laughs> competent players in their positions as well. And then also the comparison. I think that's probably the last thing that uh, I wasn't particularly satisfied with, uh, like the, the default FB FBref um, uh, comparisons and percentiles because I do not know how how they actually treat the positions. They I think they they do not treat them basically. So you have a you have metrics for a player like let's say. I say like Kai Havertz for last 365 days, and yeah. then, then you can then you can click, click through. Okay, how does he look like compared to midfielders? And then you have a click through hmm. for attacking midfielders and wingers, or maybe strikers. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not sure which different templates you have there, but the metrics stay the same, you know. And this this is this is not correct because obviously he would look like a god to a central to a normal central midfielder, and he would also look like incompetent winger. Uh, but you know he's he's he's, not, he's basically none of it, and um, <laughs> I think you should you should only take the metrics from uh, from the games where he was actually registered playing that position. And this this is not what you see on FBRF. So yes. um, yeah. so I, I, I this was one of the driving things. I I told myself okay, so I will be uh, creating some radars for myself, and then maybe some of them I will publish, because I have a total control about what I'm actually filtering. So when you see uh, let example uh, like the the one where I compared uh, Declan Rice with Caicedo. Uh, yeah. Know? So uh, I I made sure that they are just the, the midfield. Well, they are maybe not the best uh, comparison because they always play in in midfield. But uh, I I always try to filter out those positions uh, that do, actually do not fit the profile I want to compare. Mm, that's, I see that's, what you that's, mean. That's, yeah. No, but I think the biggest uh, takeaway from all of this is first of all. The radar charts are extremely prone to the way you structure them, as you said, and it can yes. influence someone very easily. The way you uh, structure the metrics around, and also the second thing I gather is you've put a fair deal of thought into how you want to uh, maybe have the transition from, let's say, attacking stats into position and into defense, because that's like a natural transition. You can go either way, but all I'm saying is there is a method to how you structure those. Um, Metrics and I did not know about that, so that's actually a great insight for me as well. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't yeah. promote it, but uh, as I said, uh, 
any visual I, I was creating, I was uh, the, the first audience is basically me. So I want to be, uh, I wanted to satisfy me in the first place. Uh, so it has to have some 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 internal logic or integrity to it. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel good just throwing around you know metrics in random order and then posting it on Twitter or something like that. Yeah, unfortunately, that's what we've seen the rise of these kinds of radar charts, which make no sense sometimes where they have irrelevant stats, as you pointed out. I think that's the biggest point where if you're looking at XG for, let's say, the same example, Kaisodo versus Rice, it makes no sense because it's neither of their jobs to generate XG. So what's the part in even looking at a metric like that? Yeah, yeah. For example, yeah, yeah. Uh, you could you could even argue that any any attacking metric doesn't really make sense. but you know that that's also the the discussion that you want to see what's not there you know uh, you want to see that they are not taking shots or not generating anything attacking wise even though you're not expecting them to but there are players that play in central midfield that, that do that yeah i mean they're not great at generating xg but they are at least uh, trigger happy you know that they, they take a lot of shots for example uh, i guess that <laughs> kind of ties up with with one one of those um, other charts that i think many people have requested you to do or to update regarding certain players, which is rolling uh, XG Delta. Personally, I think this is one of my favorite charts, firstly, because of the, the color scheme that you've used. I think it's, it's uh, quite brilliant with, with the way it contrasts, uh, the, the lines contrast the background, and you can clearly see, you know, how certain players have progressed throughout their careers. So do you think that this chart in particular, you've, you've found it useful, for example, while you're assessing someone like Min Song, who in the chart that we've displayed on YouTube, you can clearly see that he is a career over finisher to a large extent, like it's comparable to someone like Messi, even though it's uh, for a shorter duration, it's quite, quite uh, impressive. So is, what, what were the takeaways from that? Um, so first of all, I have to say uh, this design is not mine. Uh, it's not original design. I think the f first one was uh, someone from Statsbomb. Yeah, James York, I think. Yes, yes. I think yes. it was James York. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I basically, I've seen it then uh, in the FPL trout or is FF yes. trout and something FF like that. FF trout, yeah. 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 So I have seen it in one of his shit posts. He basically huh. regenerated it and make, made fun of Benteke or something like that. Uh, actually not even making fun. I think he was checking him coming back to, to normal. Uh, it didn't really work out for Benteke either, but uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I, 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 when I seen it for the first time, I told myself, wow, this is a great whiz. And uh, yeah, I just put put on a few more uh, touches. So I, I, I made it a little bit maybe more aesthetically pleasing, but the design is not mine. Um, so I knew I knew exactly what I was what I was uh, doing when I was creating this chart. Like I, I had the... Uh, I had the original right before uh, my eyes, <laughs> basically. Yeah, fair enough. If you have a blueprint, it, it does make it easier, right? Yeah, and uh, regarding scouting, uh, no. So the the chart, if we talk about, uh, let's say, a big big five since uh, 2017, 18, that, that is a lot of players. And there is basically uh, a lot of lines here that you, you, cannot, you cannot optically see. Uh, and the generating of this chart takes 15 to 20 minutes. So... It's not very practical for just trying out random players <laughs> yep. to see yep. how they fare. So I, I usually I usually had an idea which players I want to visualize. And uh, um, no, this this is definitely not some sort of uh, scouting tool for me or, or something like that. It it, it it's really just an eye-catching visual of uh, let's say the usual suspects on both spectrums. Uh, 
the good ones and also also the bad ones. Uh, they they really stand out because uh, all of these underlying uh, uh, underlying uh, lines tell you basically where where we are uh, when we talk about some, some average players or average careers, and then here are the the aliens of of this sport. <laughs> I think the the better one of the better users of this kind of graphic is. Uh, we have a lot of anecdotal evidence, right? For example, this guy is an insanely clinical finisher based on maybe five games that you've seen. But when you actually plot it out like this, you might find out that, oh, look at this, they're reverting to almost zero, which means that maybe they had uh, some luck during the time you actually watched them play. And when you were mm -hmm. perhaps not watching or you were not paying attention, they had terrible luck. Or maybe yeah. you didn't even register yeah. those chances that they missed because you tend to forget about them more than you remember, you know, those those insanely clinical finishers from outside the box or something. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely yeah. true. And uh, I, I, somewhere somewhere along these lines is also uh, Lewandowski, who, yes, yes, yes. who basically has a, has a really, really, really big dip right in the middle of, uh, of this chart. Hmm. And it, it just shows that a widely, widely respected forward, one of the best of uh, his generation, if not the best center forward in the last decade, at least, was also going through a really tough finishing spell. So it happens. I mean, this, this is football. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a, a chart like this helps contextualize a lot of things when your eye test or your memory is perhaps not the greatest indicator of, of a player's finishing ability. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. Just because this ties up with what I have mentioned previously, again, just to kind of wrap up that point on FBRF and Statsbomb parting ways, and you having worked with both Statsbomb and Opta, mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if you have noticed anything significant. I mean, you said, I know you said that it didn't make a lot of difference for the rolling XG chart, but I'm wondering if you noticed any positives, any negatives when it comes to the, the whole changing of the data source itself. Because one thing I realized that we lost a few metrics, uh, like carries, I think, right? We, we, all, we lost carries per 90. Yeah, I think we lost a lot of uh, yeah. no, and also, pressures. Uh, pressure, carries, pressure. carries were recently carries were recently Brought back, uh, right? introduced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're they're back there for yeah. anyone who's uh, who's looking forward to scrape them. That they, they are there again. Uh, hmm. But pressures, yeah, pressures are gone. Yeah, yeah. And also some other metrics that came into the picture, like for example, uh, forwards XA and backwards XA, where when we were working ah, with yeah. stats bomb, we only had XAG technically speaking because we only looked yes. at XA assi uh, XG yes. assisted. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, do do you think that you know in in the beginning we I was extremely upset about it, but of course I had to get over it because it's a free data source. Uh, they have no obligation to yeah. stick to stats bomb. But exactly. I guess you know once you're over the initial disappointment, do you feel like it's okay? I mean, you can still carry on doing what you were doing even with the new data source. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, as I said, there is definitely a loss in some precision. The people who would mostly feel it were people who built their uh, models, uh, their team models, or, or any kind of uh, models. They, I think, they would definitely uh, lose lose some some precision in the, in the underlying performance data. If you, for example, uh, have built a team model that you use maybe for uh, some competitive uh, purposes, or or I don't know, uh, you're trying to bet uh, based on it or something like that. Uh, you have definitely lost. Uh, you have definitely uh, lost some some kind of edge. Uh, this, this is undeniable. But for a regular consumer, I, I don't think there is there is anything really to yeah, to complain about. Uh, for uh, for a regular user, it's, it's it's still amazing resource. If you think about it, 
what you can what you can find there for free it's truly amazing so even though they changed the provider the advanced metrics provider i still think they are doing amazing job in popularizing analytics and making these things free for hobbyists like like myself and many many others it's not just about fpl it's about basically everything every leagues they they cover in detail everyone who wants to maybe showcase their their work and maybe find some uh, maybe find a job in football analytics etc this is truly amazing playground and i think it does a lot for uh, data and analytics propagation for uh, for a larger audience if if all of these metrics all of this data was locked away in uh, how would in I say it? Like a BBI We would lose so much free content that's out there. It's, uh, that, that's yeah. actually a great point. Uh, it's more towards uh, the availability of data. And I remember I came to you asking for uh, StatsBomb data. And I'm, I'm glad that you are one of those uh, very few FPL players or maybe, like I think, just data enthusiasts in the world who actually had StatsBomb data until a very recent point before they switched over so uh ah, yeah yeah i remember i think i yeah. actually i gave you the link to the scrape data yeah. yeah yeah you no, you just gave me the data for the five leagues because i was creating my world cup model and i could not switch to opta because then i would have had to go back and change everything to opta data and that was just not possible with the amount of effort i had already put in so I'm yeah some, something like that i definitely appreciate it and uh that's why i think it's it's very important to have a community as well where you have like-minded enthusiasts who sometimes can save your skin quite literally. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. 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 All right. So moving on from the sort of viz segment, we thought, of course, one of the things that are very apparent looking at your um, Twitter is that you're a Real Madrid fan. How did that really start? <laughs> I think uh, it was one of the first Champions League finals I watched. That was in 98. It wasn't the first one. I definitely watched... Uh, I think it was Juventus uh, against uh, Borussia Dortmund in 97, if I'm not mistaken. I definitely watched that one as well. And I, I think I have watched Ajax playing final too. But anyway, it was one of the first finals where I was tuned in as a, as a fan, as a football fan already. And yeah, it, 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 it took my, it, I don't know, uh, I was a kid and they won and I was like, all in. <laughs> they are great. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> it was also the year of the World Cup. So uh, as you can imagine, the hype for kids before a World Cup is, is huge. So football was a topic number one a long time before the World Cup even came with Ronaldo, you know, being the poster boy with his uh, Mercurial Vapor Nike uh, commercials. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was fun times for a, for a kid like me. And uh, I don't know, I just, I, just, I just started to love them. And then in 2000, when they won 3-0 in the final, I was like, okay, so this is, this, this, this is a club. I mean, they are for real, they are great. And since then, I, I've never, I've never felt anything like that for for any for any club. And I, I don't know, it it, it never it never changed. <laughs> so I'm just a Real Madrid fan since childhood. I went through periods where I felt like, oh, these are dark ages. Uh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a fan anymore. But you have, you eventually always stick uh, as a fan, and then you also get to enjoy the glory days. And boy, oh boy, we had some glory days recently. I still. As, as someone who was totally frustrated by Messi in like 2010 and 2011, I, I, I really felt, sometimes I, I really felt like I should be ashamed to be a Real Madrid fan even. Was uh, it the season that you guys played each other six times? 
Because there was a season 20. where you played in the cup, in UCL, and in the league twice. It was 2011, I think. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, we went twice in semi-finals of UCL with Mourinho. Yeah, yeah. I think. But anyway, yeah, those, those were the dark ages. And then, come, then came La Decima, and everything changed completely. Like, the experience for me of being a Real Madrid fan now is utter bliss. Like, they do everything, they do basically everything right. I compare it to any other club in the world. I don't know. I don't know if, if I would be so satisfied with the, with the club as I am with, with Real Madrid. Okay, so uh, let's, let's actually move on swiftly towards FPL. The biggest thing we'd like to go with first is just talking about, you know, analytics FC and, and the idea that the edge is slowly diminishing year on year. What do you generally think about the landscape of FPL? I think it's definitely true that if we consider edge uh, working with, with data and maybe using points projections for your decision making, very broad sketches uh, as a general point, then the edge is definitely diminishing every day. Right now, uh, even the biggest providers and the, the, like the biggest services in FPL world are launching their own optimization. Obviously, they, they already have their own expected value. It's, I, I think it's getting more popular every day. It's becoming, I think it's becoming the norm to use the data. For every, every FPL player, I think nowadays, that wants to take the game seriously and wants to be competitive, will be using uh, some sort of let's say, expected value. Uh, and and, and uh, yeah, I, I think it will be increasingly difficult to, to compete against, against the crowd. And uh, I don't know, for, for, from my perspective, the only true edge left, if I come from the point where I expect that the cohort of my direct competitors, which I would estimate at, at least 200,000 people, as we say, I would expect them all to have an access to a model of some sorts, to a solver of some sorts, etc. So the only edge against this crowd, against the cohort that are my real competitors in the game, is actually to be super obsessed with, with English Premier League, with following the clubs very closely, have a good read on, on expected minutes, basically playing time going forward, not, not only from game week to game week, but also long term, like what tactical shift will promote um, this such and such player uh, playing time in the near future, maybe in long term. If, if, if you can predict these trends, you have some edge over the others because uh, obviously you will, be, you will be there sooner, uh, at least by, by a few game weeks, which, which, is, which is all that matters right now. So this is also one of the reasons why I quit uh, this season because I'm no longer in a position where I have the time and and the energy to focus that much to follow EPL that closely, you know, to follow every every presser on Friday, to to basically try and guess what's what's going to happen with with this with this and that club without being reliant on somebody else's information because I think that also kind of diminishes your edge if you if you do not make these sort of leaps of faith or maybe if if you if you do not exercise your judgment in I, I do not want to say in isolation, but yeah, at, at least you are able to, to formulate your own opinion on, on things, uh, on the developments in, in every EPL club, then you are losing already the edge. Because if you, are relying, if you are relying on some threats or something like that every week, there are thousands of players and 
tens tens of thousands of players that will that will see the same information as you do, which might not even be correct. You know, this this is the important part that I would not, I personally would not trust the second-hand information. And when I do not have the time and energy to create my own opinions and to formulate my own judgments, I I I don't know. I, I think the age is already lost, and it would be very tough for me to compete against uh, against the crowd that. That has this, you know, that uh, that has the time, that that is that is better informed, that has the time, you know, to even change their teams one hour before deadline because of leaks. Yeah. Uh, for me, yeah. for me, this this for me this this is really difficult, you know, to to keep up with. Uh, and this year it would be probably impossible. And uh, this is something that, uh, like a pure model game, sure you, you might get there. There is also a whole level or, or whole layer of variance, etc. But you kind of you're kind of losing control over the situation. Somebody would tell you that uh, it's overthinking or something like that. But from my experience, this is not overthinking. This is just paying very close attention. And I have tried actually not to pay this much attention and be a lot more relaxed, just uh, you know following projections and not inject any context of my own, etc. And it didn't it didn't work for me either. So I I came to this conclusion that I'm no longer I, I no longer have the prerequisites to be competitive in this game anymore. <laughs> I, I guess this also sort of plays into the question that we had, which was, does playing analytically improve how you emotionally react to results? Yeah, for me, even if I play analytically, for me, it's still difficult to accept uh, bad game weeks. Uh, it still takes some time to, you know, breathe through it. And this hasn't changed uh, in all of these years, so I don't think it would change anytime soon even though i'm not maybe that much emotionally involved as i once was i was still very emotionally involved and uh, the game experience itself basically went from enjoying uh, good game weeks and and being competitive to just you know expect good game weeks and uh, and hurt through bad game weeks so when i in in last season when i had a, when i had a good game week it was like okay fine uh, this this is what we aim for uh, nothing special happening here uh, but when i had a truly terrible game week it, it hurt the same you know so um the the emotions in my spectrum shift to to the negative because i was only going through strong emotions when something wasn't going my way when it was going my way it was as expected because you know you invest a lot of time you invest a lot of energy so obviously you will be doing well it, this is not a surprise you are not you're not winning in a lottery when you somehow uh, find yourself in top 20k in gaming 20 or something like that. It's this, this, this is what what we want, you know. This is this is why you are spending so much time uh, on this game. But if it's not the case, if you find yourself in 300k or something, uh, that, that could be brutally demoralizing. And I'm not. I'm I'm just like character-wise, I'm not the person that could say, ah, oh, this is fine. I will just play with the same enthusiasm as if nothing happened. It just doesn't work for me. Like I need, I need the feedback loop. I need the feedback to be positive for me to to invest that time and that energy. If the feedback isn't there, uh, I'm not doing this for money. I should be doing this for pleasure. And when pleasure is not there, what else is there? You know. Yeah, I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, V Rogue on FPL had maybe not word, word for word a similar thought process, but I think he went through something similar with him not being able to commit the time necessary and i kind of understand where you're coming from with with the negative feedback loop especially because i had a terrible season 
last year with with uh, almost minus 100 negative variance and i i don't know how mm. i pulled myself through it but i don't know if i can if i can go through another season of such bad luck because it's as you said we are putting in so much time and effort and if it is not correlating with success it does become uh, quite difficult to motivate yourself yeah 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 i can imagine for some people this is not an issue but it definitely is and was an issue for me yeah fair enough fair enough uh so one more thing that we i think you're well known for uh, within the fpl community in general is having a direct line to the fpl goat at, at least as of date that is fabio just kind of give us a background as into how you guys interacted in the beginning how how did this friendship come to be and whatever you can divulge about your interactions with fabio in general yeah sure so um i met him virtually uh, in 2016 facebook basically there was a fpl facebook group uh there were plenty of us basically this was basically the start when we when we started interacting like in a in a group and it was it was quickly obvious that he was a very thoughtful player that uh he knew what what he was doing and also he wasn't like i think at first he just wanted to be good at the game but then later he wasn't ashamed about talking about his goals to be a hall of famer uh so He's a very determined player. He's very detailed oriented. Uh let me put it this way. So he really does know what happens um English Premier League even though he's not visible in your Twitter sphere. Uh he follows everything very very closely. Like he's up to speed with all of the team leaks. Uh you you basically won't surprise him with with any leak. <laughs> well, wow, that's a uh, on, on 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 Saturday on Saturday morning. Uh yeah. He, he, yeah. So Yeah, as I said, very, very tuned-in player, very, uh, very nice person actually, uh, like a genuinely nice person. He doesn't possesses the the ego of a FPL goat or something like that. This is this is really not this is really not him. But yeah, as I said, very, very determined. So he really wants to do well. Uh, he invests a lot of time into the game. Yeah, he's a model user as well. He also has his own data that he. He has some some sort of a crude EV model for his own purposes. Uh, I I've never I've never talked much detail about about it with him, but uh, I have seen something. I don't want to go. I don't want hey, to. Hey, sure. Sure, sure, sure. And yeah, I uh, I I didn't talk to him through all these years. I when when basically when we stopped interacting on uh, Facebook like in 2019 something like that. I I haven't heard f- from him for a few seasons and then I I came back to him when he was already the widely uh regarded goat and th- that was like my one of the last pushes I I was trying to make in this game to to learn from him you know to pick his brains to ask him questions how he thinks about different issues maybe about topics in in FPL you know like get get the general feeling what what are maybe his priorities what is the thought process etc so he was he was also always very generous with his uh opinions as i said very 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 nice very nice guy and also very very down to earth just like yeah a, a good a good guy to chat fpl with because he as i said he he knows yeah he's he's well informed yeah. so um i'm just curious does he know that how the majority of people on twitter like regard him as the goat yeah yeah he he is aware he's aware okay. even though he he isn't following it himself because yeah. he really doesn't have an account like it's 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 true he doesn't have an account yeah um he sees things you know people people who talk to him more often than i do they inform him about about things that that are happening around his uh, personality 
And obviously, when you're top of uh, Hall of Fame, you expect that people talk about you. He's getting invitations, you know, from many people to talk, to go on a pod or something like that. This is this is no secret that he's in demand. So. Oh, yeah, 100%. So uh, is he just opposed to the idea of appearing on a podcast just because he's a private person, I assume? Um, I, I never went in a lot of detail in this. I just know he he's not a fan of the idea that he would talk about himself on a podcast. Maybe it will come one day. I don't know. So, for example, sure. you know, um, we we are in the group chat with uh, Magnus Carlsen's coach, right? And he has been very clear since day one that, that Magnus is never going to appear on a podcast about FPL because he considers FPL to be a hobby. So I, I was wondering if it's something similar with, with Fabio that maybe it's it's uh, because you've, you've said that he is a very down-to-earth person and, and um, maybe he doesn't like the spotlight, so it, it would make sense. Because I think the, the most, the closest he's come to that is I think the video that FPL Focal put out where I think he, he communicated yes, with him yes. through, I, I guess, emails or text messages? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. That's, that's, that, that's correct. To be honest, I, I really don't know. I, yeah, never, yeah. I never specifically asked about this. Um, I don't want to make any assumptions. I, I, no, just, know, course, course. Uh, yeah, I just know he's a private person. And, uh, yeah, he likes, yeah. He likes that to stay, to st- he likes it to stay that way. Yeah. I, I hope someone has uh, shown him <laughs> The, the parody account that FF Trout has converted his to for being your number one Fabio fan. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, yeah, there yeah, was a yeah, yeah. yeah where uh, he had actually gone to quite a f- length to make himself appear as the number one Fabio fan on Twitter, and uh, it was quite something. I mean, it was I found it to be really <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was great entertainment. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. I think just moving on from from Fabio and switching back to this season for the 23-24, we are starting to see once again the pricing being affected. Uh, I think We Rogue as well on Twitter had shared a very useful graphic detailing how a lot of the players who would have returned great amounts of points in previous seasons, particularly around your, let's say, 6 million to even 10 million worth of midfielders or your five to even six million of defenders have all dramatically decreased in price in respect to previous seasons. So what do you generally feel about the impact on pricing? Because I know despite your retirement, you you have sort of actively vocalized some of your concerns on Twitter. Yeah, from competitive point of view, it's definitely bad news. The way they structured the pricing that you can basically hop on literally anyone uh, at any point of time in the season, double game weeks, blanks, doesn't matter. You, you can just get the best players in your squad, most probably, even with very low TV, uh, even very low team value. It's it's not great for um, for competitiveness, that's, that's for sure. The perspective of FPL, I kind of get it. I think, well, the obvious, the obvious idea here is uh, FPL is becoming largely a global global game. It's not about English or, or UK fans anymore. It's uh, it's a global game. I mean, it was always a global game, but right now it's it's super global game. It's as a global reach. And I think the I think the basic idea behind the pricing is just you you want your players, you want your audience to be able to pick your favorite players and to pick uh, the, the team with as many of them as, as possible. You don't want to pick 
you don't want to be forced to pick players from bottom half teams, uh, whether it's defenders, midfielders, or, or even forwards. I mean, uh, you want to please your audience. You want them to pick their Chelsea's, their Manchester United's, their uh, their Liverpool's, uh, to have to have all of their favorite players in their team, and you know, um, and get 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 the experience of fantasy while uh, watching EPL, etc. So. I, I, I'm, I'm not blaming FPL for this move. I, I, I know exactly why they are doing it, and it should promote higher interaction even about, among non-competitive players or players they, that do not care that much. And it's basically the, the two worlds of this game, and we have to accept it. Uh, for competitiveness, it's, it's a bad idea, maybe even for the game design. I'm, I'm not sure. Somebody more clever uh, might have an opinion on this, that the game design with this pricing probably makes less sense. and. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, from for, from my perspective as a as a seasoned FPL player that would approach the season, I know because every every season is the same. I know there would be some absolute bargains uh, that will emerge throughout the season uh, f- from from anywhere. You know, like you you can count on it. So the initial pricing should not be uh, so permissive that it allows you already to build an amazing team. Should, from my perspective, it should be it should be the way that it's actually very difficult to have the best players and and to have I don't know maybe maybe more than five players from the uh, top six teams with this very re- relaxed pricing. I'm not even sure such things as, as super bargains will will even matter. I mean, it's it will be definitely great if some some budget defender overscores uh, at at some point uh, his expectations, but if you can build your backline from the top six teams and not even from random defenders, but with basically the best assets, defensive assets in their team, and then you move on to midfield, where uh, I think the only midfield priced about 10 million is Salah. Am I, am I, am I correct here? Uh, yeah, I think De Bruyne. Is yeah, well. De Bruyne. Sorry. So yeah. there are two of them. It's just crazy. I mean, you can have a top, top six midfield if you want. Um, yeah, it, it it was never like that, and I'm not sure. I mean, the game was the game was definitely different a few years ago. I don't know, guys. What do you no, think? But, I, I will not. Uh, I will not. I will not be playing the games. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think you're definitely right in the sense of anecdotally, if you think about previous seasons, like for example, the famous Lundstrom season, or even Riyad Mahrez in his first season at Leicester, you remembered those because they were the anomalies. They were one of a kind. Yeah. But now it's the case where because most of the players are maybe underpriced or maybe they are accessible. You don't even have great memories of, oh, I I went for this lower priced player and it paid off because it's accessible to everyone. So everyone is going to own Bruno, for example. Everyone is going to own Rashford. Everyone is going to own uh, Holland. Everyone. So it's, it's, it's become a case of, I don't know, because I think FPL is also a game of bragging rights at the end of the day. It it yeah, kind yeah. of has diminished in that sense as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. I totally I totally agree. Yeah. Um, the, the the likes of Lundstrom, uh, that was super extreme. But I think that was even Patrick Patrick Van I no Van I know. Yeah. Uh, that too. Uh, I mean, he was great for a few seasons. But I think there was uh, Van Bissaka. Van Bissaka had this season in Crystal Palace uh, where he was like, like really good in bonus or something like that. And yeah, four we were cheering him on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. he he was uh, he he was super cheap and he delivered. I don't know. I don't remember exactly, but definitely lower than uh, than top six defender like of your choice. Uh, but we still loved him. 
because he was so cheap and he delivered the points. But when you can actually pick Gabriel or uh, let's say Luke Shaw will have a season without injuries, then what's the point of cheap defender anyway? I mean, these guys will definitely outscore them. And I think, Fran, if I'm not wrong, uh, you also kind of pointed that out, right? That the 4.5 defenders are so easily accessible that you don't really need to risk anything with a 4 million defender. Yeah, 100%. I think the fact you can access Botman, a nailed 4.5 defender for what was last year's second best defense, is a little bit outrageous. Um, you know, the early fixtures aside, in reality, pricing should be for the long term, and you have an asset who is too good in terms of long term value. Ultimately, what's happening is it seems like your skill floor is being raised and the ceiling hasn't really moved if it hasn't gone down. And so if you're, let's say, a less engaged player, a bit more of a casual coming into game week one this year, it's more than conceivable you can create a super team for game week one. And I think another thing, too, you could argue is that there's just going to be a bit more variance with so many players who will be uh, part of squads that have the highest dv possible and it's concerning because your source of points are no longer really from your one or two different players and your niche players but more so really the combination of 11 crazy players with maybe the exception to holland yep well that was this season's price anyways so i mean moving ahead i think the one thing that we touched on just before our conversation started was on evaluating ranks and Going back to the idea that, of course, a lot of us obsess over an absolute rank such as a top 10k finish. And one thing that I, I find quite interesting coming from you know an esports background is, is you have the concept of ELO just like in chess. And a lot of people are, for example, looking at percentile finishes too. I, I know that that change is based on what you consider the active player base to be, but things like that. And ultimately, given the sort of recency of how people have become engaged, you're now seeing managers who are looking at their three-year ranks, four-year ranks instead as a way to evaluate themselves as managers. Because I just remember looking at, you know, the recent three-year rank weightings and just looking at a manager who I believe was sixth with some really great finishes. But in the past, unfortunately, having 1.5, 2 million finishes, that just completely disqualifies their they're waiting really as a, as a manager. Do you have any thoughts as to as to both things really? I think uh, FPL Research is doing the job well. I mean, it's it's amazing. He's doing it as as responsible as as he could. And regarding the goal of top 10k, it's definitely an outdated one. <laughs> it was really established a long time ago, and it, it doesn't bear the same relevance anymore. It is what it is. It's just difficult to move away from it. It's just difficult to accept that top 10K now is maybe top 30K. I don't know. Maybe top 20K last season, maybe top 30K this season, because you know the, the field is getting increasingly better uh, every season. This goes also with the uh, number of players, but also with experience these players gain over the seasons. So you have now tremendously experienced players who have access any analytical help they they want to demand they can basically pick a brand of uh, their favorite analytical tool I, I don't want to go into discussions about quality but it is what it is and yeah uh, top 10k is no longer viable it's just it's just some old-fashioned thing but for me I, I also always clung onto it uh, also last season I, I really wanted to get a top 10k finish 
he didn't happen again because of a game captain right yeah i kept in rushworth in the last yeah. game weekend I, i mean i had it on kevin of course five minutes before the deadline i had it but i also had it on somebody else maybe salah or something like that like eight minutes before deadline so i was sweet switching between these three mindlessly because you cannot find any in the deadline you will not find any convincing uh, reliable data point that will move you it's just where you land uh in the in the last in the last gasp yeah Yeah, so yeah. I landed on I landed on Rashford and I got uh, I got a little bit unlucky with with that pick and it basically meant that I fell uh, I I fell from some some something from inside top 10k uh, outside of it and it it basically killed me it killed me so much I I realized that last game week that what I what I do here is doesn't make any sense anymore <laughs> um, it's difficult it's it's very it's it's just it's just very hard Uh, to get to get that rank uh, at least it was for me i personally i felt like i played the most complete season last season of all my seasons i don't even remember one significant blunder you always make some small mistakes uh, and all of my previous seasons had some really terrible decisions baked in them this season i i really don't remember and i was i was using data i was you know like trying to even blend in the uh, blend the the evs from different models i discussed things with with people like i used everything i learned over the career and i put it into practice this season because this was the season i i really wanted to get that finish i really wanted to for me to 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 show myself that i have learned something and i can i can deliver and this this killed me man this really killed me i invested so much energy and time into last season and it's no It, it was basically no use like my last three finishes are like uh, 18k 16k 14k in i don't know what, what order are these but it's between 10 and 20k and i i kind of yeah i, I kind of lost faith that i can move <laughs> i can move from from there it's like i i accepted that this is my ceiling right now and it probably it's probably only going to get worse so i mean uh, honestly i think most fpl managers will give the right hand for finishes like that but i understand that you have higher aspirations because you know you've already had a lot of high finishes in earlier seasons i think using your own logic the, the finish that you had last season is definitely amounting to top 10k a few seasons ago just because oh, you know given the competition definitely. yeah definitely. so i think it was but they, yeah but you know it it, it yeah. won't uh, it, it won't satisfy me i, yeah, know, I know i know i know i know i played a lot better than when i achieved my first uh, top 3k or something like that yeah. i know that. Yeah. It, yeah. that that's it's not denying and i think a lot of players uh, experienced players would tell you the same i mean they they played the game uh, a lot worse in maybe 5 years ago but had drastically better finishes you can also argue about variance etc but uh, yeah it, it, is, it, it is it is what it is it's it's very it's increasingly difficult not for everyone i guess uh, some players are still achieving those heights of of top 1k and uh, yeah I'm, i i admire these guys um if you are if if you are if you are consciously aiming for something like that and you can you can deliver it in this uh, in this era of fpl you must be really really special decision maker uh, let me put it that way yeah true and also i mean uh, just to point it out the fact that chase achieved quite a remarkable feat of scoring the same number of points in two seasons in a row yeah which yeah. if you look at it it just feels quite surreal because i know you wanted a higher finish but just from a from a challenge point of view like if you want were to take up a challenge in fpl i think it one of those <laughs> quite impossible ones would be to get the same number of points because you hardly have any control over it 
Yes, that's true. And I didn't even, I didn't even uh, uh, notice it my, yeah. myself at yeah. first because I was, I was so sick about the season. I didn't even look at it. Like, okay, it's done. But it, it definitely feels, uh, feels special. In, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's but it's but it's fun. I mean, I would, I would, I would definitely exchange it for top 10k finish if you ask me. <laughs> of course, of course you will. So yeah, I mean, uh, thank you so much, Chase, for uh, coming on the pod. We really appreciate you. I I talk to you not that infrequently, and you know I hope to interact with you even more. Um, you're yeah, I think you're one of the the better FPL managers that I know, and I try to try to take inspiration from the content that you create as well as how you play FPL. So yeah, I hope you stick around at least from an interaction perspective. And uh, Fran, do you have something to add? No, absolutely not. Um, well, other than the fact that I hope once again we probably come closer to some great heights as Ramajid fans this season and uh, <laughs> looking forward to watching some games with you this year. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Very, very kind words. I really appreciate it. I will definitely stick around. As I said, uh, intensity will be probably lower because of uh, yeah, my general situation. But uh, yeah, I definitely want to stick around. My DMs are also always open. Thank you. Thank, thanks a yep. lot for this opportunity to, to talk to you.